Hello and welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and how the institution and its research benefits people and communities both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and today I am joined by Kirsten Trainer, a PhD researcher in the university's Bloodborne Virus Research Team and a member of the Substance Use and Misuse Research Team, as well as being an epidemiologist in the Bloodborne Virus Team at Public Health Scotland. Kirsten, thank you very much for coming on to today's show. Thank you very much for having me. Today, Kirsten, we're going to be talking about how the university is helping to understand and respond to Scotland's drug crisis. So I suppose the best place to start is by outlining the background. How big an issue are drugs in Scotland just now? I would say drug use is a really important issue in Scotland right now, particularly among people who inject drugs. People who inject drugs and people who use drugs in general are um, quite a hidden population. Um, Because drug use is illegal, it's not something that people would freely disclose. So it can be quite challenging to estimate the size of the problem and how many people who inject drugs there are in Scotland. But at the moment, they estimate that there's about 15 to 20,000 people who inject drugs nationally in Scotland. I know Glasgow in particular is a bit of a problem area in Scotland. How big an issue is Glasgow? Well, um, Glasgow is Scotland's largest city, so um, it has the largest proportion of people who inject drugs. And they think that in Glasgow, there's an estimated 5,000 people who are currently injecting drugs. And, you know, problems with drug use and drugs are linked and exacerbated by issues related to, you know, poverty and Mm -hmm. um, deprivation. So I think that's another reason why Glasgow is particularly um, affected. Some areas of Glasgow are among the most deprived areas um, in the UK. We've heard it described as a drugs crisis, and and crisis is quite a big word. Is is crisis a good word to describe the situation? Um, Yes, I would say so. And, you know, people even refer to the current situation in Scotland as a public health emergency, and people want it to be declared as a public health emergency. So we are currently in the midst of um, two major public health crisis um, right now. And the first one would be an HIV outbreak in Glasgow city centre. So the outbreak in Glasgow um, among people who inject drugs um, has been ongoing since 2015 and it's just entered um, its sixth year. There have been over 170 cases um, associated with outbreak in Glasgow and it's the largest community outbreak of HIV that the UK has seen in over 30 years since um, HIV first emerged and was linked to drug use in the 1980s. In a study which um, was completed by our team, and this was led by my PhD supervisor, Dr Andrew Polly, we found that prevalence, so that's the proportion of people who are infected with HIV in Glasgow City Centre, has risen from 1% to 11% as a result of outbreak. So that's a really you know, dramatic increase in the number of people who are infected with HIV in the city centre. The second public health crisis we are facing is in relation to um, drug-related deaths. So drug-related deaths in Scotland have been increasing over the past um, 10 years. And in 2018, there were the highest number of drug-related deaths. So that's deaths resulting from um, an overdose um, ever recorded in Scotland. So 1,187 people um, died. And just to put this into context, the drug-related death rate in Scotland is three times higher than the overall death rate in the UK as a whole. And it's one of the um, highest drug-related death rates um, in Europe. And I also think it's important to point out that the highest drug-related death rate in Scotland is in Glasgow. So that's really two significant public health crises that are ongoing in Glasgow at the moment. 
And the UK government and the Scottish government have both recognised that these, the, the drug-related drug death crisis is a significant issue, as they both held summits on how to best respond to the issue back in February. It's really important to conduct research into you know, what's going on in Scotland so we can understand you know, what, what's driving these crises and how, how can we best respond to them. Yeah, those are some remarkable numbers there, Kirsten. Do we know what's causing this crisis? In relation to um, HIV, so the HIV outbreak is really um, the focus of my um, PhD research and um, research which has been conducted by our team here at GCU um, and including um, some of my PhD work has found a, a combination of um, cocaine injecting homelessness and injecting in public places or outdoor locations are key drivers um, of increase in HIV in Glasgow. We found that nearly 50% of people in Glasgow city centre reported public injecting, so a really high prevalence of people, a really high number of people who are engaging in this risk factor in the city centre. And people also who reported injecting cocaine in the city were seven times more likely to be infected with HIV. And cocaine injecting, and I should say this is powder cocaine injecting, increases the risk of HIV is because it has a shorter um, half-life or shorter lasting effects on the body. And um, this encourages people to inject more frequently. And that increases their risk of sharing injection equipment. And then that can increase their risk of becoming infected um, with HIV. The cause of drug-related deaths is a bit is quite complicated, but it's thought to be partly related to an aging population of people who inject drugs. Okay. What they're often referred to as is um, the train spotting generation. Okay. Um, so um, people who use drugs in the eighties who have aged and have had complex health issues, um, which may make them more vulnerable to an overdose. It's quite interesting you talk about Glasgow City Centre. When I think of Glasgow City Centre, you think of shops and, and bars and, and restaurants and clubs. You wouldn't normally associate that with uh, like, like serious drug use, like what you're talking about. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, really, it's really quite quite remarkable. And particularly in Glasgow City Centre, you know, cocaine injecting is, uh, is, a real, is a real problem. The study that I had previously mentioned found that um, nearly 70% of people um, who are injecting drugs in Glasgow City Centre um, were injecting cocaine. And this is a relatively new phenomenon because, you know, heroin has been, you know, the dominant drug on the illicit market in Glasgow for, you know, decades. I should have I should have also said that when I was talking about um, drug related um, deaths and the cause of it, ageing isn't the only story. Um, poverty and deprivation is another big factor, mm-hmm. and also um, poly drug use. So people using um, not just one substance, but using you know multiple drugs in combination. So like you know using heroin, alcohol, cocaine, and also um, benzodiazepines. It's interesting you talk about cocaine there, Kirsten. Cocaine is always a drug I would have associated with snorting and not injecting. When did there become a prevalence for injecting cocaine within Glasgow City Centre? They first kind of noticed that there was an increase in cocaine injecting back in 2017-18, where they found that over 70% of people who were injecting Glasgow City Centre were injecting cocaine. And yeah, as I mentioned, this is a a new phenomenon because heroin has predominantly been, you know, the dominant drug on the in the market. And they don't really fully understand why there's been a shift to cocaine. One explanation could be that there's been a drop in heroin purity and research from Europe has shown that cocaine purity is high at the moment so that might have increased the attractiveness of cocaine as opposed to heroin and it's a really really important research area because we don't really understand fully why cocaine injecting has become so prevalent in Glasgow. I also think I should point out that when I'm talking about people who are cocaine injecting people are typically injecting cocaine alongside heroin it's not like they're just injecting cocaine on its own although some people might. 
Now, you've mentioned some of the, the risks that are associated with injecting drugs such as HIV. Are there any other health associated risks and sort of like societal associated risks with injecting drugs? You know, people who inject drugs tend to have a much more serious issue with, you know, drug dependence. So, you know, when you inject a drug, you experience its effects um, much, much more intensely. So, you know, when you're injecting a substance into your veins, it's, you know, it's really, really highly invasive. And, you know, frequent um, injecting can damage an individual's veins and tissues in areas that they inject into. This can result in nasty and Infections and abscesses at injecting sites, which in worst case scenario can even result in amputations. They obviously have a much higher risk of overdose compared to other people who don't use or inject drugs. They're much, much more likely to experience extreme poverty and deprivation. And that includes, you know, experiencing homelessness or um, rough sleeping. And the practice of injecting drugs is a highly stigmatised behaviour. So they're also much more, more likely to experience you know, social exclusion and marginalisation from society in general. And that can be another real barrier to accessing health and social services and also you know, improving their health and um, social outcomes. Before we go on to talk about interventions that we have in place for people who inject drugs, has the current global pandemic exacerbated problems for these people? I would say that there are a lot of unknowns around COVID-19 in general. So it's the same for people who inject drugs and it's going to—it's a really, really important um, uh, research area. You would probably expect um, people who inject drugs to have a more severe um, COVID-19 disease if they did contract it. They are more likely to have underlying health conditions, mm. conditions um, like you know cardiovascular disease and lung problems. So you know even if someone's uh, you know in their forties, if you've been injecting for twenty years or so, you might have you know the body of a of a seventy year old. Right. It's also very difficult for people to isolate or quarantine themselves if you're addicted to or mm. you're dependent on drugs. And it might also have a knock-on and other interventions and services, um, which are used frequently by people who use or inject drugs. So understanding the direct and indirect impacts of COVID-19 on people who inject drugs is going to be really, really important and is a really key issue. So tell me what kind of interventions we have in place at the moment for people who inject drugs. I would say that there are three key interventions that we currently have in place for people who inject drugs in Scotland. So the first one, um, which is probably most commonly known, is uh, needle exchanges. So these are services which are located usually in pharmacies and people can access clean injecting equipment and that includes clean needles and syringes and any other equipment um, that you would need to inject like water or mixing spoons or antiseptic wipes to clean injecting sites before you inject. People can also access other equipment um, like foil, um, which people would use to smoke drugs rather than inject them. And, you know, needle exchanges have been around um, in Scotland since uh, the 1980s and they're viewed as, you know, a, a core part of our health service. And providing people with clean injection equipment prevents the transmission of bloodborne viruses because mm-hmm. it reduces the likelihood of them needing to share injecting equipment. Another uh, intervention um, that's really key is um, opiate substitution treatment or opiate replacement therapy. And so this is prescribing people drugs like methadone, which is the one most people most commonly heard of, or Mm -hmm. um, buprenorphine. And these treat the symptoms of um, opioid dependence and they stop people going into drug withdrawals and reduce reduce the intense cravings that people who are dependent on um, heroin would experience. And this helps people um, reduce or stabilise or even stop their drug use, um, which helps reduce the risk of drug-related harms. 
The final intervention that we have, which I think is really important to mention, is uh, naloxone. So naloxone is a drug which is, can be thought of as the antidote to a heroin overdose. It comes in an injectable form in Scotland and when it is administered it's injected into someone's muscle and it immediately blocks the effects that opiates have on the body and reverses um, a heroin overdose. We have a take home naloxone um, programme in Scotland where people who are high risk of overdose or high, are likely to witness an overdose are um, trained, how to, trained in how to use and administer naloxone so that if they are present when an overdose happens then they can, they can respond. And Scotland was actually the first country to um, implement a national naloxone programme um, in 2011. So we actually have quite good coverage of these interventions, but we're still experiencing um, issues with drug-related harms. Now, a lot of your research, Kirsten, is focused on the introduction of drug consumption rooms. What is a drug consumption room? Drug consumption rooms are can be thought of as a structural public health um, intervention and what they are is they are a medical facility that provides people with a clean and safe environment for people to consume or inject drugs under the supervision of medically trained staff. So um, people bring in their purchased drugs to the facility so they can take those drugs under supervision. And if someone overdoses, there's someone who can administer naloxone and respond to that overdose straight away. And people can also access clean injecting equipment, um, which is reduces the sharing of injecting equipment, and that can help reduce spread of bloodborne viruses. So tell me about your research into drug consumption rooms. What, what did you find? I'll give you a, a bit of context first. Back in 2016, as a result of the HIV outbreak and concerns about drug-related deaths in Glasgow, they proposed the introduction of the UK's first drug consumption room in Glasgow City Centre. So because of these proposals, we wanted to understand that if these interventions were introduced in Scotland, would people be willing to use it? Because for it to be successful, um, it would need to attract people who are at the greatest risk um, of drug-related harm. Mm-hmm. So to conduct this research, um, it was a huge team effort and um, we used uh, data from the Needle Exchange Surveillance Initiative, which we like to call uh, NESI. And NESI is a national cross-sectional survey of people who inject drugs in Scotland. And a team of field workers, which included myself, were recruited to recruited people to take part in a survey from sites that provided people um, with injecting equipment. And in the survey, we asked them about a range of behaviours which related to their injecting risk. And we also asked them, if a drug consumption room was made available in your area, would you be willing to use it? And what we found was that we found that willingness to use drug consumption rooms was extremely high across all regions and also among key risk groups in Scotland. So 75% of people in Scotland overall said that they'd be willing to use a drug consumption room. And this was even higher when we looked at people who were recruited in Glasgow City Centre or other Scottish city centres. So 83% of people in, in both of these regions said they'd be willing to use one. Okay. We also found a really high willingness to use a drug consumption room among people who reported key risk factors like cocaine injecting, public injecting, homelessness and also um, recent overdose. How did you carry out your research then? You mentioned that you had quite a big team of people involved and it was quite a complicated process. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, collecting the data for this um, study, um, yeah, is a huge is a huge team effort. So, I mean, there's a team of people who go out and collect all the data and then um, there's, a, there's a group of people who will process the um, data and they'll enter the data into a database um, and then there's people who'll analyse the data like me. <laughs> so I was involved in collecting the data and then I was also involved in analysing 
the data. So it really is a huge team effort. Um, and you know, Nessie has been around for over ten years, and Nessie is a really, really useful research tool, and it's you know helping us to understand lots of different issues relating to people who inject drugs in Scotland. So it's useful for helping understand the HIV outbreak. It's useful for helping understand you know the impact of drug consumption rooms, and you know also um, what's happening in relation to drug-related deaths. If we were to set up drug consumption rooms in Glasgow City Centre, whereabouts would they be? You would want drug consumption rooms to be set up in an area where the problem is. So this would typically be in an area where there are high levels of public injecting or, you know, areas where people are experiencing high levels of drug-related harms. You want it to be in an, set up in an area that's easily accessible to the population that you're trying to attract because, you know, it's really unlikely that people would travel long distances to um, use the facility. And what's the support like from health boards and the police and the Scottish government towards drug consumption rooms? There's actually really widespread support for their introduction um, nationally um, in Scotland. The proposals themselves are actually spearheaded and led by NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde and Glasgow City Council. The police have also support voice support for the introduction. The Scottish Government has been incredibly vocal about their support for the introduction, um, particularly at their drug-related death summit, which was held in Glasgow um, in February. They even had uh, a mock drug consumption room at the summit, which um, would show people um, you know, how they work and how they operate. And there's even support for them for the introduction from other main political parties in the UK Parliament, but unfortunately just not any support for the introduction from um, the UK Government. Why are the UK Government not in favour of them? At the moment, the facility wouldn't be able to legally operate under the Misuse of Drugs Act because that's a reserved matter for the UK government and that's not, drugs law isn't controlled by the Scottish government. Okay. So for the facilities to be established, it would require um, a change of law or an exemption, which is something they've said they're against. But I mean, it's quite a difficult question. Why, why are they um, against it? Because they have acknowledged that they think that they would have a public health benefit, especially um, in Glasgow. But People who are opposed to drug consumption rooms, they're often opposed on the basis that they condone or even encourage drug use because drug use can be viewed as morally wrong. And they often think that the focus should be on interventions which focus on abstinence or recovery from drugs. So drug consumption rooms are often framed wrongly in opposition to interventions which help people become abstinent. But, you know, these interventions are really, really important. But the reality is that abstinence isn't necessarily an option for a lot of people. And drug consumption rooms provide, you know, a pragmatic solution that can help people keep help keep people alive long enough so they can engage other treatments and services when they're ready. Can you see a point when we'll be able to introduce drug consumption rooms or is it a case of just having to change the law before we can even think about it? I really hope so. I'm going to be optimistic about it. I think that there is an exceptionally strong case for them um, in Scotland, you know, particularly in Glasgow. When you think about the prevalence of drug-related harms, there's a real high prevalence of public injecting and there's also a really high willingness of to use the facility from people who inject drugs themselves. Um, I think we just need to keep producing good science um, to try and understand the impact they could have in Scotland and try and keep the case for one um, high on the agenda. Kirsten, that was really interesting to listen to and I really thank you very much for, for talking to me today. But I just want to finish up with one question. This is your chance to put the case across for drug consumption rooms. How do they have the potential to make a big impact? 
Internationally, um, drug consumption rooms are, you know, really frequently introduced in response to public health crisis like we are seeing in Glasgow and Scotland. So, you know, typically in areas which have high rates of HIV overdose and high, level, high levels of public injecting. And there's a lot of evidence from other countries which has showed that, you know, they are likely to attract people who are at the highest risk of different drug-related harms. So people who are engaged in public injecting and people who are homeless, you know, etc. And, you know, research from other areas of the world, a good example is Vancouver in Canada. Um, they showed that after the drug consumption room um, opened, there were significant reductions in public drug use around the facility and also reductions in things like drug-related litter. And also they showed that there was a reduction in the fatal overdose rate, so the portion of people who were dying as a result of an overdose in the surrounding area. So I think particularly in Glasgow, you know, they could have be a really key intervention to help us um, address the HIV outbreak and also prevent drug-related deaths because that's how they've been used in other countries. But I also think it's also important to mention that they're a really key intervention, but they also don't hold the answer to all of Scotland's problems with drug-related harms and need to be implemented in a package with lots of other different interventions, which would include easily accessible drug treatment and recovery services, clean injecting equipment, naloxone, and you'd even want to try and address the root cause of public injecting other drug-related harms. Kirsten, thank you very much for talking to me today. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the show, and I hope you'll join us again soon when we'll be talking to another member of staff from Glasgow Caledonian University. In the meantime, please subscribe to this show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast from. Until then, I've been Craig Telfer and this has been The Common Good Podcast.